Chapter 9 of An American in the Making The Life Story of an Immigrant by Marcus Eli Ravage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Ventures and Adventures. To return to my cousin's camp and the order of events. The two days allotted to a guest being over, I was given broadly to understand that I must enter the race for American dollars. During the remainder of that week and throughout the entire week following, I went about, quotes, trying. Early in the morning, I would go downstairs to buy a world, and after breakfast, I would get one of the children to translate the want advertisements for me. When I glanced at the length and the number of those columns, I saw that I would not be long in getting rich. There were hundreds of shops and factories and offices, it seemed, that wanted my help. They literally implored me to come. They promised me high wages and regular pay and fine working conditions. And then I would go and blunder around for hours, trying to find where they were stand in line with a hundred other applicants, approach timidly when my turn came, and be passed up with a significant glance at my appearance. Now and then, in a sweatshop, I would get a hearing, and then the proposition was that if I would work without pay for two weeks and give ten dollars for instruction, I would be taught to be a presser or an operator. The thing baffled me. I could not bridge the gulf between the advertised appeals for help and this arrogant indifference of the employing superintendent. Half the time I had not the remotest idea of what was wanted. I had been told what a butcher was and what was meant by a grocery store. But what were shipping clerks and stock clerks and bill clerks? and all the other scores of variety of clerk that were so eagerly sought. However, I did not let trifles discourage me. There was only one way to succeed in America, my friends continually told me, and that was by constant, tireless, undiscriminating trying. If you failed in one place, or in ten places, or in a hundred places, you must not give up. Keep on trying, and you are bound to be taken somewhere. Moreover, American occupations were so flimsy, they required so little skill or experience, that a fellow with a little intelligence and the normal amount of daring could bluff his way into almost any job. The main thing was to say yes whenever you were asked whether you could do this or that that was the way everybody got work the employer never knew the difference so i followed the counsel of the wise in so far as my limited spunk permitted and knocked at every door in sight time and time again i applied at department stores in need of floor walkers that i thought could certainly require no special gifts, at offices where stenographers were wanted, at factories demanding foremen. 
but my friend's predictions appeared to be only half true of failure there was indeed no end but that ultimate inevitable success which i had been promised did not come there was nothing to do but change my tactics then there was the problem of distances i could not dream of paying car fares everywhere i went even if i had had the nickel the mere thought of spending twenty-five bani at every turn would have seemed an appalling extravagance and somehow the jobs that i supposed i had a fair chance of getting were always at the ends of creation an errand boy was wanted in long island city and a grocer was looking for an assistant in hoboken by the time i had reached one place and had had my services refused i was too late in getting to the others and always i was refused why at last one morning a butcher in the upper eighties gave me the answer with pungent frankness i had got to the spot before any one else and when i saw it in his eye that he was about to pass me up i gathered all the pluck that was in me and demanded the reason he looked me over from head to foot and then with a contemptuous glance at my shabby foreign shoes the alien's shoes are his judas he asked me whether i supposed he wanted a greenhorn in his store i pondered that query for a long time here i thought was indeed new light on america her road to success was a vicious circle and no mistake in order to have a job one must have american clothes and the only way to get american clothes was to find a job and earn the price altogether a desperate situation then my relative suggested peddling here i was occupying part of a bed that could bring fifty cents a week and paying nothing for it moreover she was giving me meals this was america everybody hustled and nearly everybody peddled if i had some money i might start right off on the grand scale with a pushcart but there were other ways there were lots of young fellows from vaslui of just as good family as mine who sold pretzels in a basket or mantles from a handbag anything they could find and paid for their board and bought clothes for themselves and even saved money here for instance was louis carniol whom everybody at home had considered a ne'er-do-well a schlelem meselnik did i notice how nicely he was dressed did i know that he had money in the bank yes i need not look incredulous for only the week before he had sent home fifty francs and there was rose marculescu a mere girl and in three months she had nearly paid for the steamer ticket her brother had sent her of course the lucky ones and the clever ones got jobs but what could a body do in the land of columbus one did what one could and there was no disgrace in doing anything a shoemaker was just as good in america as a doctor as long as he worked and made money 
and paid for everything i denied the imputation that i was ashamed and asked her what she proposed that i should do considering that my fifteen cents had gone for ferry rides she answered that she proposed to lend me the money for a start and irrelevantly quoted the Romanian adage about when thousands are lost, hundreds don't count. So I accepted her dollar and let her lend me a small brass tray she had brought from home, and in the afternoon I went around to Orchard Street and invested my borrowed capital in two boxes of chocolates. Monday morning you might have seen me at the hour of seven standing at the corner of fourteenth street and fifth avenue inviting the crowds that rushed by to work to partake of my wares i was very enthusiastic in spite of the nipping cold but oddly enough no one in that whole rolling sea of humanity seemed to be fond of chocolates moreover the policeman took a strange dislike to me and chased me from one corner to another once a young american humorist flipped my tray in passing and nearly succeeded in spilling my entire stock under the feet of the hurrying throng however late in the day my affairs took a turn for the better toward nine o'clock the whole army of peddlers came forth into the daylight and the winter air grew suddenly warm with friendly babbling and mutual offerings of assistance the mere sight of them with their variegated equipages and their motley goods was reassuring there were peddlers with pushcarts and peddlers with boxes peddlers with movable stands and peddlers with baskets peddlers with bundles with pails with satchels and suitcases and trunks with an infinite assortment of contrivances designed to display the merchandise and to enthrall the eye some of the carts were ornamented with bunting and colored paper edging and christmas bells and sprays of holly others carried glass showcases and feather dusters a great number were provided with tops built of lumber and oilcloth they came pouring in from all directions men with patriarchal faces and white beards old women draped in fantastic shawls out of the arabian nights boys with piping voices young mothers with babes in their arms on they came scurrying through the congested traffic dodging vehicles trudging with their burdens laboriously wheeling their heavy laden carts these representatives of all the nations of the earth making for their appointed posts in the international exposition that stretched along fourteenth street and up sixth avenue as far as twenty-third street it seemed to me as i looked out upon this vast itinerant commerce whose stocks were drawn from the treasures of the east and the industries of the west that i was no mere detached trafficker engaged in a despised trade i was a member of a great and honored mercantile guild i found myself surrounded by friends an elderly man with a telescope case set up camp beside me 
and proceeded to remove therefrom in the manner of a conjurer endless packages of oriental spreads and tablecloths as he drew one forth he shook it gently out of its folds held it up to view with a pleased expression made some queer passes with his hands like an acrobat about to ascend a tight rope and placed it affectionately on his shoulder i glanced up at him and shied away his head was swathed in a white turban and with those laces hanging down his person he had the air of some barbarous eastern priest the effect was heightened by his swarthy face and grisly black beard i was somewhat alarmed and was about to move on when he suddenly spoke up to me in my native tongue how is business he inquired i confessed timidly that i had not yet made a sale then in an excess of boldness and with a sinking suspicion of occult powers at his command i asked him how he had recognized me for a rumanian his eyes twinkled with amusement as they looked meaningly at my shoes from vaslui for a guess he went on i am from berlad myself my family is still there can't get enough together to bring them over i am an old peddler know the game have been here once before years ago when i was a boy ah times are hard america is not what it used to be played out too many in the business they pamper the customer and ruin the trade god if i had not been such a fool to go back and waste all those good years in rumania serving the wallachian with a gun and a bayonet i could have had a store on fifth avenue by now but you are a youngster it's your america i wish i were in your shoes nice syrian laces lady all this went over my head i was as yet too fresh from the steerage to grasp its significance but when his persuasive arts having failed he informed his customer that those syrian laces were meant for people with money and not for dickering paupers he came back to me with more definite counsel you'll learn all right never fear how much do you sell those chocolates for all right here is my penny for a starter a softia but that is too cheap you'll do more business if you ask five cents your american likes to be charged a stiff price otherwise he thinks you are selling him trash move along elbow your way through the crowds in front of the stores seek out the women with kids shove your tray in their faces don't be timid america likes the nervy ones this is the land where modesty starves and yell never stop yelling advertising sells the goods here is a formula to begin on candy ladies finest in america only a nickel a half a dime five cents go on now try it i did reluctantly and with some misgiving what would i do if those elegantly dressed ladies should resent my aggressiveness and call the dreaded policeman moreover there were altogether too many mischievous youngsters in the throng who seemed bent on adventure 
and I wished no disaster to befall me. So I moved along cautiously, applying my friend's advice only by degrees. But it astonished and delighted me to see how magically it worked. I was really making sales. Incredible as it seemed, these people actually paid five cents for every piece that cost me less than two-thirds of one cent. Once a customer, a man, gave me a dime and refused to take change, and I began to wonder whether I could not raise the price to ten cents, whether, as a matter of fact, there was any limit to the gullibility of my customers. One thing, indeed, that impressed me right early in my contact with the world outside the ghetto was the almost ludicrous liberality of American life. Everyone was sufficiently dressed in the streets of New York. At home, people who were thought of as in comfortable circumstances usually wore their clothes and shoes away past the patch stage and thought nothing of it. In America, nobody except the newly landed and a certain recognizable type styled a bum wore patched garments then again in vaslui none but young ladies of marriageable age wore gloves for anyone else the article would have been regarded as silly dandyism of course most of us wore worsted mittens home knitted in cold weather but i am talking of gloves a very different thing in appearance as well as spiritual significance in new york it amused me not a little to observe that even teamsters and street laborers wore gloves at their work to preserve i suppose their dainty hands indeed one of the most curious things in america was the fact that if you went merely by their dress you could not tell a bank president from his office boy in the meantime my first day's peddling made one thing certain i was a successful business man trying was a thing of the past i began to hold my head high and that evening I had the satisfaction of going to a Romanian restaurant on Allen Street and ordering the first meal I had ever paid for in America. It consisted of a dish of chopped eggplant with olive oil and a bit of pot roast with mashed potato and gravy. It did cost ten cents, but I was in an extravagant mood that night. I had a right to be for while I dined I reckoned up my earnings for the day and found that they were no less than seventy cents, not counting the chocolates I had eaten myself. Thenceforth I returned to my restaurant every night. It was a great comfort after a day spent out in the cold to go into a cozy room and have a warm meal and hear my native Romanian spoken now and then a musician would wander in and gladden our hearts with a touching melody of home and we would all join in until the tears drowned our voices i began to make acquaintances and after the meal we would sit around at the tables 
discussing america with her queer people and her queer language those of us who worked at the building trades and those who sold fruits and vegetables uptown brought back the most amazing stories of their adventures in exile the american it appeared was a spendthrift and a finick his home had the most luxurious appointments and his pantry was loaded with fabulous edibles he affected a curious liking for hushed whispers and silent footsteps his women-folk were meticulous cranks his language was a corrupted jargon of yiddish and rumanian from the oddities of the native's life we would come back to things that touched us nearer we sighed or bragged over our business ventures bestowed admiration or advice and when the clock that hung over the display of victuals on the counter struck midnight we found that our talk had drifted back to where it had started to gossip about the latest arrivals and the recent news from home in the course of my adventures as a man of business i was frequently brought in touch with schoolboys and the encounter always left me wistful and envious fortunate youths here they were at such tender years and they already talked a very high order of english it was high enough to go over my head for the most part and studying profound things out of profound books whose very titles were an unfathomable mystery to me what was in those great stacks of books that they always carried around with them i tried to draw them into talk in an effort to find out and as the colloquy progressed i grew bold enough to ask the one great question that lay nearest to my heart were they all going to be doctors to which they answered with great shouts of laughter and called me greeny only once i managed to draw a young gentleman out of his reserve a doctor he sneered lord no who on earth wants to go to school half his life and then fool around sick people for the rest of it not me i am going to high school because mother is silly and because i ain't old enough yet to get my working papers but just you wait until next year and see how quick i chuck it and go to business this was a tremendous revelation how anyone with the chance of becoming a doctor could dream of wanting to do something else was something i could not get through my head at all oh if only i had their luck with my royal ambition constantly before me and the demands of my business learning english was becoming a necessity i felt besides that going on living in america without knowing the american's language was stupid but the east side offered few facilities and plenty of hindrances for the study the abominations of english orthography i mastered early enough so that i could spell hundreds of words without knowing their meaning but the practical use of the language was another matter a greenhorn on rivington street did not dare open his mouth in english 
unless he wanted to bring down upon himself a whole torrent of ridicule and critical assistance the mere fact that he had arrived in america a week later than a fellow alien seemed to justify the assumption that he knew less of the language and east side etiquette demanded that he should defer to the americanized and accept their corrections without question at first i was inclined to be meek and let myself be taught by my elders and betters i even let them laugh at me when i spoke in my native tongue in america it appeared it was against the rules of good breeding to call things by their right names certain articles must always be referred to in english irrespective of whether one was talking yiddish or rumanian but as soon as i saw through their flimsy pretensions which did not require very long nor any special talents i revolted indeed i turned the tables on my critics and started to do some laughing myself there was no scarcity of occasion my friends were finding english contemptibly easy that notion of theirs that it was a mixture of yiddish and rumanian although partly justified was yielding some astonishing results little rumania was in the throes of evolving a new tongue a crazy quilt whose prevailing patches were sure enough yiddish and rumanian with here and there a sprinkling of denatured english they felt no compunction against pulling up an ancient idiom by the roots and transplanting it bodily into the new soil one heard such phrases as i am going on a marriage i should live so a milky dinner they called a cucumber a pickle and an eggplant a blue tomato because in rumanian a pickle was a sour cucumber and tomatoes and eggplants were distinguished from one another merely by their color all balconies were designated as fire escapes because the nearest thing to a fire escape known at home was a second-floor balcony i found the language of america much harder than that one of the first purchases i made out of my peddler's earnings was a copy of harkavy's dictionary as it was my purpose to learn the whole english language and nothing less i meant to start at the letter a and proceed alphabetically right through to the end that appeared to me the surest way of not missing anything but when i beheld that bulky volume and found on the title page something about thirty thousand words my enthusiasm got a little chilled i had never realized that americans were so loquacious why even if i were to learn a hundred words every day i could hardly hope to master enough vocabulary for an intelligent conversation in less than three years to say nothing of studying medicine moreover experience had already taught me that words even when perfectly memorized and pronounced had an exasperating way of turning into nonsense as soon as they were put to the practical test supposing you did know what give 
meant or turn and had managed in addition to discover the meaning of such particles as up down in and the like you were still at sea as to the connotations of such phrases as give in give up give way turn off turn out and no end of others no more helpful was the dictionary in your search for the sense of such bewildering oddities as that will do which sounded like dad'll do rushing the growler ink inc period seen on signs in the street and doctor obviously having nothing to do with the thing you wanted to be there must be some magic glue outside the dictionary that held them together so i added a bible to my library and studied the english version side by side with the hebrew original i read the signs on the streets and the legends in the shop windows and in the evening hunted up whatever words i could remember in my dictionary now and then i made an incursion into the evening journal but it required a gigantic effort of the will to keep up the grind the very fact that i could read the news in two or three other languages was a handicap in my adventures with the outer world i made another discovery bargaining was discouraged i stopped in front of a grocery store to buy a basket of what i thought were plums of a species i particularly liked the man asked ten cents i offered him six and he calmly put the basket back in its place and proceeded to walk into the store i called him back and suggested splitting the difference whereupon his face assumed a threatening shade and i handed over my dime when i reached home i discovered that my plums were tomatoes i set to work to prepare a long and convincing speech which opened in the petitionary vein and ended in menace then i marched back to the store with my heart thumping i had scarcely opened my mouth when the salesman divining my mission took the package out of my hand and handed me back my ten cents this was something more than the liberality i had observed before it was a peculiar generous trustfulness of which i was to see more and more as i went on living in america my old friend yankel bachman for instance was employed for a brief period as assistant to a milk driver and it made me marvel to hear him tell how his customers left bottles with money in them at the doors where anybody could have taken them and how he in turn left the milk in the same places somehow they never were taken or at least he never heard of it imagine i used to say to myself imagine doing business after that fashion in Vaslui. once a newspaper wagon sped by and dropped a bundle of magazines right at my feet i picked it up and was walking away with it when a man emerged from a stationery shop and politely though smilingly informed me that it belonged to him 
i gave it up of course in confusion but i thought that if it had happened at home the case would have gone to the courts before the owner could have proved his right to the goods and we were honest people in vaslui only our ideas were different this undiscriminating confidence in god and man was a distinctly american peculiarity on one occasion however the confidence i had come to feel in american people was cruelly abused i had had an unprofitable day on fourteenth street and had remained out till late in the night to forget my troubles i stopped on the way home at one of the penny arcades on the bowery and amused myself by looking into those forerunners of the movies which showed a single still-life picture free of charge and a dramatic performance as soon as a cent was deposited in the slot a somewhat shabby-looking but decidedly friendly individual approached my machine and much to my surprise started it going with a penny of his own for my benefit i asked him to share the pleasure with me by applying an eye to one of the two openings but he declined on the ground that he had already seen everything in that place this led up to his inviting me to a much finer place further down the street where the pictures were of a superior character as we walked along he suddenly bent down and picked up a purse see that fat woman there turning into houston street he asked me she dropped it i could not see her but that was of no consequence then my friend proceeded to give me a rapid account of his misfortunes his dismissal without cause from a place he had held for ten years his sick wife and dying little boy and ended by thanking the lord before he had any idea whether there was anything in the purse to be thankful for because he had rescued us he could see that i too was poor from our poverty finally he opened the wallet and found in one pocket a bunch of keys and in the other a nickel and an elevated ticket with trembling hands and dilated nostrils he now turned to unlock the center compartment and he heaved an ah of relief as he drew forth a crumpled twenty-dollar bill but at the sight of the tremendous find his reason seemed all at once to have deserted him for the first thing he said as soon as he got back his breath was it is not right and it is dangerous let us go to the police station and give it up i had a dreadful time with my scanty english and my excited nerves to persuade him not to do such a foolish thing it's ours is it not i cried besides the woman looked rich she would not miss it and we could make good use of it only when we got in front of the bleecker street station did he come to his senses all right he said we'll go over to my sister's house and i'll get ten dollars for your share she lives up on seventh street why not go into a store i asked and get it changed it's dangerous i tell you we'll get caught he insisted say he cried with sudden inspiration you say you are a peddler 
give me ten dollars and you keep the bill but i did not have ten dollars i only had seventy-five cents he looked incredulous as we approached his sister's house he began to run off wait a minute i yelled i can't let you take the money with you how do i know you'll come back he gave me an injured glance and quite justly asked me why he should trust me when i had no faith in his integrity i might at least let him have my seventy-five cents as partial security but to this i answered with a laugh that if he could trust me with nine dollars and a quarter he might as well trust me with ten dollars my logic seemed to carry conviction he turned over the bill to me but not the keys and the rest of the find and set off at a dash for the sisterly home i waited half an hour but he never came the next day being sunday i mysteriously informed my cousin that i was going to coney island she looked astonished and i grinned i thought you complained about business being poor she said then i waved the bill in her face and told her the whole story you had better wait she advised it may be one of those american fakes about ten o'clock brother-in-law Koza arrived on his weekly visit and she asked him into the children's room for an important conference my heart sank as i heard his deep laugh through the keyhole it was a confederate bill after two weeks of chocolates i turned to toys success begets greed and even a dollar a day will lose some of its first glamour by monotonous repetition besides the holiday rush was fast drawing to a close if i was to save up anything toward a better day i must deal in some article that would not tempt my palate and as the man who sold me the new merchandise pointed out toys had various other advantages over candies they went at a superior price the profit was greater and whereas chocolate spoiled when kept overnight toys could be returned if not disposed of nevertheless when the season was over and i was left with some eight dollars worth of sheet metal acrobats i discovered that my man had changed his address and was nowhere to be found that was the beginning of my american disasters and simultaneously of my american education for that eight dollars represented all my savings for the season not counting my cancelled debt to mrs siegel and i was left to starve and try until i got my first job or from christmas to the end of january of course i could have gone back to my relatives now that my credit had proved good but my pride told me that it was better to walk the streets after the tea-houses were closed than to be lectured end of chapter nine